0: morning guys. How y'all doing? Good, good. good. Well, we're gonna, I'm doing good. Thanks, dad. The perks of, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to be here uh, this morning. I thank you guys for coming and joining us, especially on a three-day weekend where you can be in the Bahamas uh, because we know everyone can afford that. So uh, I'm gonna jump right into this because I'm so excited to flip through Ephesians with you. Uh, we've been working through this for a few weeks, and we'll be going through this uh, for the rest of the summer. And I think uh, Pastor Terry and Pastor Blake are doing an awesome job at tearing this whole book apart, and we're going so slow but so nice through it uh, that we're just pulling out so much nuggets that we need. So uh, today we're going to take a little chunk and uh, look at it. And I really believe, um, I know we probably say this a lot, but maybe it's from my life. I believe that if, you, if your mind uh, can grasp this, it's pretty simple. Uh, if you get this and grab a hold of it, it will rock the way you, uh, let me see this, it'll rock your world. (laughs) It will change the way you do things and rock your world. It it hit me at the core uh, about 12 months ago, and it's still working slowly out in my life, but uh, man, it changed me where I think uh, that night that I learned this, I sat on my bed and just looked at the wall for like probably two hours. Uh, I was in shock, and uh, it blew my mind, so I pray that that does that. Uh, God does that this morning. So let's look at the text. We're going to look at uh, Ephesians one fifteen through, I think, 20. And uh, we got a lot of good stuff um, going this morning. So Paul is writing this to the church in Ephesus. It's a church that he planted, he started. And so he's traveling, planting other churches. And so he writes this letter just to them. That's what a lot of the epistles or the letters in the Bible are, are just pastors writing letters to churches they started. So that's all it is, is simply a letter to them. And he says this, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He says, look, I've seen, I've heard stories that your faith is great in Jesus, that you believe in Jesus, you're locked out, you're loaded, you're ready to go, you have your trust in him, and that's awesome. And I also have heard stories that your love is great towards Christians, that you're not bickering too much or have too much unity, but you're also you are getting close to being unified. You're there, you're loving, you're supporting each other. It's not a divided house like other places. And so he's thankful. And as an expression of his gratitude and joy, what does he do? He prays for them. And he could be praying in his own time, but he loves, Paul loves, and if you go through the Bible, New Testament, to write out prayers. Because he could be for them and say, hey, I prayed for you I hope you love the prayer. I hope things change. But he writes out his prayer because knowing this and reading it and letting it seep into your soul will change more than saying, look, I prayed for you. Because his prayers are uh, a lot different than our prayers. It's pretty gigantic. So we're going to look at that right now. He says this, look, I'm thankful for you guys, so I'm going to pray this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, the church, the people in that church, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, Jesus Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great might found in Jesus. His prayer is crazy different than our prayers, at least my prayers. Maybe you guys pray these, pray these big prayers, but see, pr- Paul could be praying for money. I mean, he's writing to a church. Hello, tithing is kind of hard sometimes, especially when the finances go down. So Paul could be, hey, you guys should be giving more money. Paul could be, hey, I'm praying that you stop gossiping. Paul could be writing, hey, I I pray that you get new carpet. I pray that you remove the pews. They're too old. I pray that, that, that you stay open later and longer and have more staff. He could pray for a lot of things that we probably pray for for churches. I pray for more people. I pray for bigger events. But he prays not on the surface, but at the deeper root level. doesn't he pray for sickness or immorality. He strikes at the core because Paul gets this. He knows that their view of God, how they see God, will affect everything in their lives. They said, look it. Paul said, your understanding of his love is the greatest motivator. And so when you see God correctly, your life will change forever. So here's what I want to get at this morning. It's going to be very short and simple, uh, but so deep. Paul, I want to know what was Paul's main reasoning for praying this. Why did he pray this? Why does he always pray these kind of prayers? His prayers aren't simple and neat and, and something that we usually pray. It's always something that sounds, or we would label, so spiritual. You know, you're sitting in a prayer time, and someone you're like, ah, I pray for uh, my aunt's flat tire, and the guy next to you. I pray the Lord Jesus heal you right now, and praying all this stuff that you're like, oh, this is awesome, and then he goes into very deep stuff you don't understand, and way deeper stuff, and he starts praying for things, and demons, and, spirit, and all this stuff, you get, you get confused. We don't like that. I freak out when I, when I hear those prayers sometimes. I'm a pastor, so you all must be freaking out every single time you hear those prayers sometimes. I'm from Bible college, and I heard those prayers, those deep prayers, and I label it as, oh, too spiritual until I found out that those prayers where you're you're praying for things that you don't really see, but you know are there, are the most important. Because you're praying for things at the core where you can't see. So I want to know why was Paul praying that. So there are a few, few unique and pretty simple things that Paul prays for. Just a bullet point list. And each one of them have to do with knowing God. That's all knowing his ways, his characteristics, how he is, how he acts, what he does, and his promises, what he says about you uniquely. Paul wants those people to know that. He prays this, that God may give them spiritual wisdom and insight. He wants them to grow in their knowledge of him. Pretty simple, right? He wants them to grow in their knowledge of Jesus. He says, I want your eyes of, the eyes of your heart, who you are, the center of your being, to really get to know the hope God has for you the life he has planned for you, the direction he wants you to walk in. Paul wants them to grasp everything that God has, the unique life that's different than before, that God has promised in Jesus. He wants them to know and appreciate the value God has placed on them, the great value that God has placed on them. He wants them to know that. He wants them to know and grasp how much of a treasure they are in his eyes because he knows that's going to change everything. And lastly, he says, I want you to know the amazing power and blessing that God has towards those who believe in Jesus. Pretty simple, right? He's praying for stuff that we would think every Christian should know because, look at you, you love Jesus, you believe Jesus, you go to church. You should know, God, you should know that God has blessed you. And all of these promises are for those who believe in Jesus, who are touched and changed and rocked by Jesus. It sounds like it's simple, but it's so unsearchable Sometimes. But Paul has a very specific intention. And the bottom line is this: no God. No God. I don't like simple things sometimes. I like it to be complicated, but this is pretty simple. No God. And notice this: Paul doesn't say to do these things or practical steps or any kind of commands in this prayer. He doesn't even get to a command until chapter four. That means the first three chapters of Ephesians. There's no commands. There's no, you should start doing this, start doing this, serve God here, tithe here, do this, say this, wear this, don't do this, don't smoke. There's nothing in the, first three tra- in the first three chapters. No commands. He could have said, hey, I want you to tithe more, gossip less, but Paul's doing something here that he does in each letter. And if you look through the Bible, it happens all the time. And in Bible college, we called it the indicative before imperative. Sounds confusing? So uh, to simplify, it means theology before practice. Theology before practice. Now theology is a big word, and some people are really, um, they, they get freaked out when you say that. Like, that's way over our heads. I don't understand that. I, I don't know why. That's for pastors and Bible college students. But theology literally means this, the study of God's nature, just knowing who he is, getting to know God. And it's less of a, oh, i got to study a book, and more like, hey, God, let's go to Starbucks and grab a cafe and talk. And we shy away from theology or studying or learning about God because we think it's book work, when really theology is just getting to know the lover of your soul, the one who created you, amen? That's all it is, but we shy away because I I, I can see that. I don't want to study all these books, and very impersonal, but when you know theology is really personal because you're getting face-to-face with the living God, then you want to know Him more. And here's the big idea. Here's the big problem, actually. We focus more on what we need to do for God Rather than, le- rather than learning what God has already done for us. I preach, we hear, we read books, and we get focused more on what we should do for God, things we should do, lists, rules. And we figure out there's so many rules, we don't want to do it, and our focus is on what we need to do for God, but really, Paul wants, and God wants even more, you to focus on what God has already done. Something he's finished, it's complete, it's accomplished. There's no loose ends there's no, I'm not sure, it's done. And so our problem goes to what we focus on and what motivates us. And I'm so guilty of that because I want to know lists. How many of you guys are list people? You need a list? Yeah. I, I work good on lists. My intern probably doesn't think that because I'm pretty disorganized sometimes. But we get stuff done, right? Yeah. Um, he likes details. I hate details. So. But I love lists. I love to see those things. I needed to check off lists. Hey, I'm doing my devotions. I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying 10 minutes. I'm doing these things. Um, and I lose track what God has done for me and focus on what I need to do for God. Like that is going to save me. And people have told me in Bible college, okay, look at Chris. I know you're going into ministry. You're pretty prideful. Let me tell you something. Seriously. Well, that's what they thought probably. When people are hurting, they say. When people are hurting and they come to you and they have wounds and you need to speak to them and they want to speak to you, don't give them some High in the sky theology and doctrine and some Bible verse and, and all this stuff about God. Let them know some practical steps. Oof. I can't disagree more. Practical steps are awesome. They're needed at a point in time. But healing doesn't start with me telling you what you need to do like these steps and action points. Healing starts when you know God is crazy for you. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. He's forgiven you. He's with you. He fills you. He guides you. Healing starts when you know what God has done for you, not what you need to do for God. And I I get sidetracked. I don't need to tell you your list of sins. What you need to hear, what I need to tell you is God wants you. God wants you. He's crazy for you. Look at the cross. Look at what Jesus did. That's the perfect sign that he is out for broken people. And I'm the first one to say I'm broken. I think we're all broken. But he wants you. He's creative. He's powerful. He's patient. He's for you. He's forgiven you. He works all things out. He works in all things for your good. That means you can go through the worst situation, and he works in that to turn out for your good, and he gets praise. You need to know that. Again, most people hear the word theology, they usually become confused because they don't understand it or indifferent. They think it's this clean, sterile word that's safe for Bible scholars and pastors. They go, oh, yeah, that's for people on stage or people with studying. I think it's a messy, chaotic, but beautiful word that has to do with everyone. Because knowing God is what we're created for. We're wired to search for deep things. We're wired to be on conquest, looking for new adventures, looking for things, searching, learning. And I don't think life is all about just learning facts or studying uh, what you're studying in school or things you go through. Those are awesome. God uses those things that he's gifted you with. But ultimately, all of that should lead you to knowing the one who created you, knowing God, theology. <laughs> Paul was all about it. And I think even more than Paul, God is crazy about theology because God wants, than anything else, he wants his people to know him. I can't argue with that. I don't think you can either. God is crazy about his people knowing him because he knows the more that you know about him, the more your life's going to change. Why do you think there's a Bible full of of past, of, of characteristics of God, of how God works, of what God says about you? Not just for fun, not just for a list of rules, but you get God's heart And that changes things when you figure out God did these things way before I was born. I don't think he needs me. He loves me and he wants me and he finds joy in serving or or serving me and loving me and protecting me. But he doesn't need me to do this stuff. He did everything for me before I could do a single thing for him. That's amazing. He wants them to know what God has planned for them. How much God loves them and how great he has blessed them. And it seems so simple. Paul's point is this. You need to know what you already have in your account. Let's say, for example, uh, you got an inheritance, and it was enough money, in your depo- enough money deposited in your account to last you all through your life. Let's say you didn't know about that. You didn't know the money was deposited in your accounts. You would, one, continue to work thinking you have to earn that money because you don't have it, and two, you'd never be able to enjoy and spend and use that money. That's how a lot of us are. We don't know what we have in our accounts, so we're working for things that we already have. We're trying to earn things that God's already promised us. And then we never get to use or experience fully what God has for us because we're trying to work to get it and please him when really he's already pleased with us because of Jesus over here. And it changes everything in your perspective. When you know that you have everything you need deposited in your account. And knowing God is simply knowing what he's like, what he's done, and what he says about you. I can't stress that enough. What he says about you will change the way you see yourself and other people. And if you don't know what God says about you, then your identity will be found in everything else, work, money, all these things, but what's truly your identity. And you miss that. And you might think you're dirty, wounded, un unworthy, you might think that you're not beautiful or uh, no one values you or you have no purpose and you believe lies because you haven't heard what God the creator of you has said about you if you don't know these things your life will be backwards and this is what happens, you'll be trying to work for things you have been given and never able to enjoy the things you already have and Paul's prayer is this prayer it's so simple, he says I want you to know the beauty of God, just know it Know it Study." Open the Bible. You're not going to get all the theology or stuff about God on Sunday mornings. It's Monday through Saturday, through every experience, every moment, you pick up different things about God because God reveals himself everywhere. It's not that God isn't working. It's that we're not observing. We're not noticing. Sometimes we're just blind. I'm blind to the things God is doing, and then I open my eyes or step back or turn around and look behind me, and God has done this amazing work and I've been blinded to it. But it's an everyday experience. So before I go to the blessings of that or what it really works down to be, I want to give you some warning signs from my life that I've experienced. Here's some signs and things that have happened to me that I've noticed in the past 6, 7 years walking with Jesus that I want you to avoid, or hopefully you can avoid it. If you're going through that, you'll be able to see this is what happens when you get this backwards. This is what happens when you're in the mindset of, I need to work to be approved by God. I need to do things for God instead of focusing on God has done everything for me already and I can rest and enjoy that. This is what happens when you have that backwards. Number one, you become really bitter. And it might be secret and and underlying sometimes, but you become bitter towards people and God because you will never be satisfied because you're always constantly chasing after something you already have. It's behind you and you're going this way trying to work your fingers through your bones, sweating. Everything you put is trying to get this, but you're never going to get it because your mindset is, oh, I don't have it. I need it. When God says you have everything you need, I've given you everything you can desire. And we become bitter towards people because they're not responding. And bitter towards God because God's not blessing us. And so we work harder. It's a bad cycle. I mean, work way harder and do more things and try to be good thinking that God is blessing is contingent on how great we are at obeying a few commandments. You'll become rigid. I've been there. This is from my life. You become really rigid because your joy will be constantly depleting because your focus is on what you can and can't do for God instead of what God has already done for you. And so you're either really prideful because you're like, oh my gosh, I can do all these things for God. He needs me. He better put me up in heaven really quick because he needs my decisions. Or you could be really despaired because you're over here broken saying, I can't do enough for God. I always fail. I always seem to fall. I'm not what the pastors say, the preachers say, the TV says. I'm not what the media says. I can't do enough for God. So your focus is on this, what you can do. Instead of going, this is what Jesus has done. And you get beat up and there's no joy because you keep failing. Instead of going, geez, God knew I was going to keep failing. That's why the cross is real. That's why Jesus died and resurrected because he knew I was going to keep failing and he paid the price. Knowing that switches everything. Last thing, you become really burnt out. It's not just for pastors, it's just for anyone who's trying to do this because your motivation will be, I have to obey to earn things. And so your mindset will be, I need to do more, I need to tithe more, I need to to do the right things, say the right things, be at all the church events, look the right, listen to the right music. And then God will bless me. Your motivation is I need to do in order to receive instead of I've been given so much. Now I get to respond. See the difference? Your fuel will be your motivation. And your fuel runs out. If you haven't got to that point yet, you will very soon. I'm there and I'm young. My fuel ran out. My fuel constantly runs out. That motivation of me trying to do things to get God on my side, foolish because God's already on my side. And these things can be avoided if we simply shift the mindset. And that's all it is. I'm not going to tell you today what you should do in five different practical steps. I'm going to tell you, hopefully you get this, that God is crazy for you. And he's done everything you need to live and be close to him. So accept it and live in it. And you must grasp this. This is one of the biggest things. God calls you to become who you already are in Jesus. God wants you. He calls you to become who you already are in Jesus. If you're in Jesus, you're forgiven. If you're in Jesus, you're accepted. If you're in Jesus, you are not guilty. If you're in Jesus, there's no punishment. If you're in Jesus, you are loved. If, if you're in Jesus, you're cleaned. You're righteous. You're pure. You're accepted. You're treasured. You're a child of God with a new heart. You are already those things. So live it out. God calls you to live out the identity he gave you. You didn't deserve that identity and those blessings. You didn't earn that identity and those blessings. But he's given to you because of his love and what Jesus has done. So instead of trying to work to earn it or being despaired because you can't, now you can just live it out and realize you already have everything you need. And so you don't have to think, I need to hear, I need to do, I need to go, I need to be with this person— you have, you're content now in Jesus when you understand that. So you're not looking around for other things to satisfy you. Your satisfaction is in Jesus. Ephesians 1.3, Paul, like a chapter earlier, in the beginning of the chapter says this, God has blessed you. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't know if you remember last time I said this, but uh, I'm a Greek scholar. And the word every means this, Every. I'm going to keep saying that because it's so easy. The word every means every. Not some spiritual blessings. Not the ones you deserve. Not the ones you think you need to. Every spiritual blessing he knows because he knows best, he's given to you already, paid. From day one being a Christian to day six, or the year 60, that person and this person are the same with spiritual blessings. God gives you everything you need. You don't have more the later on you go. You might be closer because you know him better. But you don't have more. You have everything. Not everything is God. The problem isn't what we don't have. We need to stop realizing, okay, man, I don't have this. I don't have this from God. I need to do this. The problem isn't what you don't have. The problem is really what you don't know. Knowledge isn't a bad thing. We actually often do this too i make fun of the Pharisees, pick at them, and go, oh, they're horrible. They're the devil. Jesus hated them, all this stuff. Because the Pharisees were a group of people who were really rigid. And and they didn't do things right. They had a bad heart. But you know how it started? A group of people who were passionate about God's word. So there's a warning sign right there. You can go really on the right track being passionate about God's word, or you can start thinking you have the control and authority, and you get really passionate, and then make yourself God. But the good thing is it started with God's word. They loved God's word. And even though their heart was wrong, they knew God, though. They knew God. Knowledge isn't a bad thing, especially when it's about Jesus. Your obedience will never earn you something you haven't already received because of Jesus. How great you are, look at I applaud you. Great. But it will never earn you something you don't already have because of Jesus. I love that. I'm going to get that tattoo to my eyes. Your obedience will never earn you something you already have. You already have everything. The mindset has to switch. You don't need to obey to get. Now you have so you can respond. I feel like I'm, I'm uh, hitting the same nail on the head. I think there's a point for that. You have all you need in Jesus way before you ever start doing anything good. <laughs> I love that. Because that means it's not depending on, on, on my goodness. It's not dependent on how well I do things. God's blessing is dependent on his goodness, how great he is. In churches, pastors, people who preach things, they get it wrong when they say you need to go through things to get close to God. You need to do this step and this step and this step. You need to do these things to be accepted by God. The only thing Jesus, God asks for us in order to be in a relationship is believe that he's done everything you needed to get into a relationship. I can't think of anything else that's easier besides believing. Now, I understand the hard parts of, you know, faith and doubt, but just believing, I don't have to lift a finger to be clean with God, to have all my sins wiped away, to be perfect before the one who is perfect, even though I'm still imperfect. don't have to lift a finger, all because I trust in the work he did. The implications are simple. God's blessing and love is not based on you. It's not about you. Rick Warren's book, I love it, The Purpose Driven Life. First sentence, it's not about you. Hallelujah! (laughs) But I make it about me way too much. It's not about us. It's about Jesus always. Let that soak in. Whether you're a new Christian, not a Christian, think you're a Christian, hate Christians, let that soak in. It's not about you. But God still loves you. He values you. He accepts you. He forgives you, not based on what you can offer him. He's pretty cool up in heaven. He has everything he needs. He's doing a good job by himself, but he still wants to use this. And now obedience switches from trying to get something from God. How many of you guys have ever done something to hope God blesses it? Like you try to obey and do something because you wish, like you kind of twist God's arm. I've done that before, like praying or something, and I, I give a little bit more money, like, God, you hook me up. I look, you know, I go, I, go more, I go to church more when I wasn't a pastor and try to go more or get early or, or just do things that I think, okay, if I do this, well, God has to bless me. So uh, and I don't realize. It's sick. It's sickening to think that because I don't realize and I forget that God has already blessed me. And I'm just ignoring it. I don't realize it. He's given me everything. So it goes from trying to get something to look at I get to respond now. Your obedience, get this, look at me. Your obedience is not a launch pad for God to bless you. Your obedience is a response to what God has already done. It's not a launch pad. It's not something you get to, oh, I get to obey, and now God has to bless me. No, he does not have to bless you because he already has blessed you. So stop wallowing in the the self-doubt that, oh, God hasn't done this for me. Poor me. You can rejoice even in that song, you're the joy and the sadness. You don't get that without first realizing he's done everything for you. Because when you go through those hellish times, those dark times, sadness kicks you in the gut. That's, that's life. But you can have joy walking through it because you've known you have everything because of Jesus. And everything's secure. And I, if, if you guys are anything like me, if you're anything like me, some of you are probably working your fingers down to the bone trying to please God. You're either are really self-righteous, thinking you're doing an awesome job because, well, you're, you're bringing, you get all the gold stars for God because you've done everything he's asking you to do. Or you're really in despair and wounded because, you know, you can't do it all or you keep failing, you're not good enough for God, and you're not uh, measuring up to what we say or what TV, you're wounded. You're on the fringe. You're probably burnt out. Some of you are just impatient a thread left from giving up. Can I tell you some good news? Can I tell you some good news? Jesus has done everything we needed to do but couldn't. You deserve the punishment for your sins. You disobeyed, ignorantly, intentionally. In Jesus, we don't get that punishment. He took it for us. You should have lived a perfect life. God's perfect. He wants you to. Pretty sure none of us lived the perfect life. Jesus did. We couldn't. He did everything we needed to do to get right with God because he knew we couldn't. It's beautiful. He has deposited everything into your account that you keep trying to earn. Your inheritance is rich beyond your belief. So get to know God. Read the Bible daily. I don't care if you journal. I don't care what Bible you read. Just get to know God because life a vapor. And I would spend it getting to know the God who loves you and has a plan for you because he works all things out for good. And he's the only one that can do that. He heals wounds. He's the only one that can do that. It's not about your actions, and your, your direction as much as now. Look, at God has done this, and everything else will switch around to now. You're responding, and when you respond to what God has done, the direction is kind of set. If you're going off your own actions, you're making your own direction, you're going your own path, but when you respond to what God has done, and you're, oh, I get to love people now because God has loved me. I get to be patient with people I don't want to be patient with because God was patient with me. And that becomes the motivation for our obedience and our love. His love first. First John says, he first loved us. That's so important. First. He didn't love us because we loved him. He loved us when we were enemies, it says. Hostile towards God. Stuck in sin. He loved us then. How much more do you think he loves us when we're in Christ? A love that doesn't change. What you do doesn't affect God's love doesn't diminish it and doesn't add to it. His love is strong for you. He's crazy for you. So get to know what he's done. Get to know what he says about you because what he says about you is your true identity, not what you hear from other people. Some of you guys listen too, too much to other people and they speak into your lives hopeless of junk and darkness and you start believing that. That's not who you are. It's not who you're created to be. Don't be afraid of theology. It doesn't bite, I promise It's simply getting to know the lover of your soul. Being a Bible scholar, it's awesome. You want to be a Bible scholar because being a Bible scholar is ultimately just being a God lover. Getting to know the God who created you. And he didn't write this just for his own enjoyment to be on the New York Times bestseller for thousands of years. He's not getting a paycheck. He did it for us. He knew what he did. We don't know what he's done. That's why we read that. Not for rules, but for his relationship. Religion, I'm going to end with this. Religion says, any religion, even some, some type of Christian domination, they teach this. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I do good, therefore God is pleased with me. Christianity says, I'm accepted, therefore I get to obey. It's a world of a difference. Slight, but it's a world of a difference. I'm already loved by God. Now I get to respond because I'm accepted already. I don't have to gain that acceptance. It's beautiful. No work. By grace, you are saved through faith. You don't deserve it, but you get everything. Depend on what God has done for you, not what you can do for God. You'll fail yourself. I'll fail you. The church will fail you. The world will fail you. But God never fails. Amen? He never fails. Test him. He never fails. So next few minutes, if we can, uh, I want you just to, if you can, unpack this. It's not a deep question. If you don't want to share, no problem at all. Uh, But I wanted to, you guys, just discuss it on the table. How has this changed your perspective? If it hasn't, tell why it hasn't changed your perspective. If you know it all, you should be up here next week. So, um, but how has this changed your perspective? What's different? What's working in your mind? How has this changed your perspective? And we'll come back in a few minutes. It's pretty simple, right? I feel like I was saying the same thing for the last two services over and over again every minute. I think that's what God wanted to say this morning. Pretty simple, straightforward. Just focus on what he's done, not what you can offer him. He's not worried about what you can offer him as much as just accepting what he's already done. He has everything he needs. So enjoy your acceptance. Enjoy your forgiveness. Don't take it for granted. Don't forget it. You can't lose it. Enjoy it. That's why it's all about Jesus. Romans 5 says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And that is the expression of God's love we get. You didn't earn it, so you can't lose it. I love that. Amen.